Welcome to And With Your Spirit, a homily podcast that takes preaching out of the sanctuary and moves it into your daily life. Let us make ourselves open to the voice of Christ and the movement of the Holy Spirit, that we might be transformed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. the Lord be with you. Good morning, everyone. On this beautiful weekend, we're celebrating the fact that uh, March Madness has begun, aren't we? Anybody stay up till midnight last night watching games? Okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> that was 7.30 came really early this morning, especially after daylight savings last week, too. This weekend, we're continuing our homily series on the Ten Commandments. We're almost done. Uh, this weekend is the Sixth Commandment, uh, Do Not Commit Adultery. And then next weekend, we'll finish out with the final two commandments, 9 and 10, of Coveting uh, Neighbor's Wife and Goods. This weekend, we're talking about the uh, kind of sexuality and human sexuality and the gift that that really is, and how sometimes we deviate from the purposes uh, it's intended for. We just mess that up too often. The times that we have failed in those areas, but also in any other areas of life, let's take a moment to ask the Lord to show us his gracious mercy. So here we go, the sixth commandment. Last year, when we were doing the Ten Commandments, or we started doing the Ten Commandments, I was hoping to get all ten done in the Lenten season. There's not that many weekends of the Lenten season. There's not 10. So I thought, well, I'll just do some together, right? We got to this one, and it was Palm Sunday, I think. I was supposed to be preaching on this one, and I thought, I don't want to talk about sexual sin on Palm Sunday, right? I'm not doing that. So I said, well, save this one for later. Well, this is now the year, and this is now the time. No one wants to talk about this one, and I don't either, because this is one that can be awkward, and it can be really personal. In fact, uh, I don't think it's unusual that when someone comes to confession, so some people come to confession to me and they list a whole bunch of different things, especially if they say like a bunch of a variety of things like, well, I stole something I shouldn't have taken and I was mad at my spouse and I did this and I did that and I gossiped and I lied a couple times and didn't put in a full day's work and I committed a sexual sin by myself, you know, and I did this and that and all. They have like this long list of sins that are all very kind of like a various list. Sometimes at the end of that, I'll say, well, which one of those sins bothers you the most? Or which one weighs on your heart? Or which, if you could pick one of those to be gone forever, just one, which one would you pick? And I ask that question because in, in confession, I look at penance as medicine. And so if you've got a stomachache, you take Pepto. And if you've got a headache, you take Tylenol. If you're in confession for a particular sin, like one of those is the biggest for you, I want to give you the right penance that kind of corresponds to help you get right on the right track, you know? And sometimes I can't tell by what you said. What, you know, if you said murder, like I, that one matters the most. Okay, like we'll talk about that one. But if it's kind of a list, and it, I don't know, I, I ask, I ask that question sometimes. And almost always when someone includes a sexual sin in their list, a sin against the sixth commandment, when someone includes one of those in their list, almost always they say that one bothers them the most. Almost always. Not getting impatient with their children, not missing mass on Sunday. I mean, those are important things too, but why is... Why is lustful thoughts, why is that your biggest one? Or why is looking at sexual images on the computer, why is that your biggest one? And most of the time, I think, it's because people realize what our bodies are for. So that's what I'm talk about this morning. The sixth commandment is, thou shalt not commit adultery. But it doesn't just mean, don't sleep with someone else's spouse. It means way more than that. And so I'm going to look at the purpose of human sexuality, look at deviations or sins against human sexuality, and then finally look at the remedy for today. So first, purpose. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, I cannot say this enough, is really good, all right? Does my own a catechism? You know that you own a catechism at your house? Okay, a few people do. Good. 
If you don't have one, go buy one. Last night on the way out of Mass, someone said, how do I find a catechism? I said, Amazon or a bookstore, anywhere. Barnes & Noble sells them, or at least they, last time I looked, they had them there. Catechism of the Catholic Church. If you don't have one and you want one, I'll give you one for free. I'll buy you one. Your, your priest will, all right? Because it's really good. It's really helpful. And this section is amazing. It's full of good information. In the first paragraph, 2338 of the Catechism says, Human sexuality is the powers of life and of love. Sexuality is the power, the powers of life and love. That's what it's for. Go back to the book of Genesis. God makes everything, separates light and darkness first, and then he makes the heavens and the earth, separates the land from the sea, and then makes plants, and then makes animals, and finally he makes us, makes people. In, in 1 Genesis, or Genesis chapter 1, we read that God makes human beings in God's likeness. Male and female, he creates them after his own likeness. We're equal with each other, right? Male and female. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, in the second creation account, God makes man by himself, Adam, uh, out of clay of the earth and blows, like breathes into it life. And then after he makes Adam, Adam is like, I can't find my other half. I'm incomplete, which is how most men feel when they're young. They're chasing girls all the time, right? High school guys, college guys, chasing girls always, right? Chasing girls. Aside, I think it's one of the reasons why our Savio program is going so strong. We got like 50, 60, 70 guys, teenage boys showing up for monthly like three hours of like faith and prayer and adoration and talks and then sports and stuff too. And we don't let any girls come, not even moms. Moms can't even come, right? Sorry, moms can't come. I think it's because when guys get together and there's no girls around, they can focus. Because <laughs> we are made for communion. And in that second chapter of Genesis, Adam says, I can't find someone that makes me whole. And so God, when Adam sleeps, God takes a rib out, not to say that a female only has part of a male or is, is less than, but to say that they are they're side by side. They're, they're so much similar that they come from the same stuff. And in God's image, both of us are created to image God. So male and female, right? That's the purpose of our bodies is that we're different, but both of us look like God does. Okay? Male and female, equal, um, in dignity, in God's image, in dignity. And then after he makes both of us for one another, male and female, then he says the first commandment. Does he say go rest? What does he say? Be fruitful and multiply. Catholics, we know that one, all right? You should be able to quote that scripture. You see a family walk around like Walmart with like 10 kids? Guarantee they're Catholic, right? Or pretty sure, pretty sure they're Catholic. Be fruitful and multiply. The first thing he says you know, St. Thomas Aquinas, the angelic doctor of the church, 800 years ago or so he lived, virgin, monk, priest, his, his job was teaching and writing. He said that the closest thing you can get to heaven on earth, besides the mass, he said the Eucharist, he said the other thing that's closest to heaven on earth is sexual union between a male and a female. Nothing is more like heaven on earth than that. Like that's how good the marital bond should be. That's how much God blesses it and wants us to procreate. In fact, I tell these people all the time, have children, because if you don't have kids, heaven is going to be empty. Not because they're going to help you go through your purgatory on earth, <laughs> but because if you, don't have, if you don't bring souls to this world, God won't just zap them into being himself. He needs you. Otherwise, heaven's empty. 
And if you raise them in the faith, then heaven can really be full, if you try to. So God commands us to be together in the marital embrace, male and female together, populate the earth. I think that's why when someone comes to confession and says, the worst one of my sins today was masturbation or pornography or whatever, I think the reason that they think that one is the worst one is because they realize the power of life and love that's found within sex. The powers of life. I love it. The powers of life and love. Another side. You've seen the episode of The Simpsons where Marge and Homer both die? Have you seen this one? I've never actually watched a full episode of The Simpsons. And that's not like I'm not against The Simpsons. I just haven't. But I've seen this clip several times because I'm a Catholic priest. And any one time someone sees something that's funny and Catholic, they send it to me. This one episode, Marge and Homer both die or they die in a dream or something happens. They're both, they, both go to, they both go to heaven. And Marge is Protestant and Homer is Catholic. And so Marge goes to Protestant heaven and she's up in Protestant heaven, and she's like playing croquet and like having cor- uh, whatever, just like, it looks like a country club, right? That's what Protestant heaven looks like, according to the Simpsons episode. And so she's having a good time, and finally she gets bored, and she says, well, did Homer not make it here? <laughs> and then one of the people says, oh, no, he's in, he's in Catholic heaven, because Homer's Catholic. And she goes, but where's Jesus? And, she, and then the person says, well, Jesus is in Catholic heaven, too. It's more fun. <laughs> and then they pan over to Catholic heaven, and it's like, Latinos and Italians, they're like drinking alcohol and <laughs> they're making out and like, right? Catholics, we believe in the goodness of creation. I'm serious about that. We believe, we believe that God sanctified all things by becoming one of us. Matter became holy. We're not piles of dung covered in snow. We are good. We were made good. And all of creation is being pulled back up into glory. And sex is part of that. God intends that for us. Okay, that's the purpose of our sexuality. It's for union. It's for love, for life. Now, how do we find deviations there? Well, you can go through the catechism, actually, and you can read all the different things. Some of the things are already listed. Lust, um, fornication, which is sexual activity before marriage, um, homosexual actions, Rape, incest, pornography, masturbation, birth control. I mean, you just, I keep going, right? This list is long. You can actually go find each, each one of those has a paragraph. You can go read about what we teach about it in the church. It has references to scripture, references to papal documents, references to like apostolic fathers from the year like 200 or 300. So you can see this as roots. It's not just modern stuff. Anyways, you can go find all those things. But how do you, can you kind of boil it down by saying two areas? If you go against nature, or you go against a vow, you're, you're deviating from the purpose of sexuality. So first, nature. If you look at the human body, you can tell what body parts are for. The ear is for hearing. The eye is for seeing. In fact, if someone's blind, I went and saw somebody yesterday in the hospital. Uh, he's in his 80s, and uh, he's dying. And I got into the hospital room, and he had just been served lunch, actually, but he, want, he wanted me to come in and give him communion and hear his confession. He had just been served lunch. Big, it was actually it was the best meal I've ever seen served at a hospital. It was like Salisbury steak and mashed potatoes and gravy and like a side dish and some corn. And, I mean, it was, it was great. It looked great. He's about ready to eat his lunch, and I walk in, so he didn't take a bite yet. And I walk in the room, and I thought he'd see me and like, put his fork down and say, let's go to communion and do confession first, right? But he didn't because he couldn't see. And so the nurse is trying to help him, and as she's trying to help him eat, I thought, well, no, let's go to communion first because if you can fast, it's better to fast before communion. 
And so I kind of interrupted and just said, hey, Father Tyler, and I'm here to see you. And he couldn't tell where I was. He's blind. And so I said, uh, is now a good time? And he goes, well, my dinner's hot. <laughs> so I said, it is, you know, it is. And I said, well, either I can stay now or I can come back after Mass. Like, it's 5.30 tonight. And he, you know, he's heading in that direction of, of death. And he said, well, I think 5.30 will work better for both of us, don't you? <laughs> it's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear, sure, let's go right now. So I'm going to go back to the hospital later today. And as I was leaving, I thought, you know, whenever I'm in my dying days and I get a good meal set in front of me that's hot and the priest can come back, I hope he does come back. Like, I hope I can eat my food warm and enjoy that meal. Anyways, uh, so his, his eyes don't work anymore, um, but his stomach does, and so did his mind. We know what our bodies are for by their purposes. We know that a knife is for cutting and that a, a truck is for driving. It's not, you can use a knife or a truck as a paperweight, but it doesn't fulfill its purpose. Similarly, and I'm not going to go into details here, our bodily sexual organs have purposes. And it's, that's not a secret. Like, we know that. In fact, like, Kids are taught when they're young, and sometimes they just know it innately, like it's inborn. In fact, our opening prayer talked about our conscience uh, bringing us back into reality to recognize our sins, and God's mercy raising us up. That was our collect from today's Mass. We, we know this innately. Our, what we use our bodies for, um, it matters, because God has made our nature for a purpose, a purpose of life and of love. So if you deviate by using a body part for something that's not that, it's a sin. So in other words, if you do something by yourself um, or with someone else that is not open to life or to union, it's sinful. Does that make sense? I know that's very simple, simplistic. Um, it doesn't make it easy. But that's the simplest way to put it. If you're doing something by yourself or with someone else that's not open to life and unity, then it's a deviation from God's purposes. I've listed some of those things already. Clear? Good? Um, Humana Vitae, which is a document written by Pope Paul VI, St. Pope Paul VI, written back about 50 years ago, 60 years ago now. Um, he was actually being challenged, and uh, the church was trying to decide whether or not birth control would be um, permissible or not. Like, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Does it go against God's kind of plan for nature, um, or does it work with God's plan for nature? And he had a lot of pressure, actually, from a lot of uh, church leaders, theologians, laity, bishops, trying to say, I, I really think, Pope, I think it's okay to use birth control. And he said no. In fact, in that document, Humana Vitae, in that document, he writes and he says, I think, I'm inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? He's our leader. He says, I think that if we allow birth control, here's all the things that are going to happen in society. And he said, I think it's going to be, this is back in like in the 60, late 60s, early 70s. He said, I think there's going to be a breakdown of marriages and be more divorces. He said, I think there's going to be, there'll be more prostitution and more pornography. He said, I think that people are going to start objectifying women and you're going to see it in media. He's sort of predicting all of these things and other other things too. He says, if we remove the procreative aspect of the unitive part of sexuality, he says, we can't take that away because it's part of God's design. And sure enough, he was prophetic. It all happened. Anyway, go read that document sometime. It's not very long. Maybe take you 30, 45 minutes to read it. It's really good. So he said that those things matter. And then finally... Chastity. So that's, that's the growth in virtue of keeping your sexuality for what its proper purpose is. So when you're a young person, when you're not married, chastity means not using your, your sexual organs for anything besides their bodily purposes that they do on their own. Training in chastity then becomes our hallmark of virtue in the faith. 
Am I keeping my body for its intended purpose? And then if you're married, chastity means having sexual intercourse with your spouse. Like that's part of it. In fact, oh, I'll get to that in the vows part. I'll hold that. Okay. So chastity is what we're supposed to be doing with our bodies. Is we're keeping them for the gift that they ought to be. And in seminary, one of the things they taught us was um, if you're not if you're not having possession of yourself, if you're being ruled by your passions instead of ruling over your passions, if you don't have possession of yourself, you can't make a gift of yourself. If you don't have a possession of yourself, you cannot make a gift of yourself, even as a priest, no matter your vocation. You've got to have control over you to give you away to someone else in love. Okay, so that's nature. So if it goes against nature, it's a deviation, and therefore it's a sin. Different levels of gravity depending on which ones those are. And then the second one is vow. If we go against a vow, so a, a, a spouse, a, a couple, they, they they should be having sex. Like that's part of the that's part of it, right? So I tell couples, why is it wrong to have sex before marriage? Because what's more important, the soul or the body? Soul. Why? The soul lives forever, heaven or hell, forever, it lives. The body dies, decays. Even actually when Jesus rises from the dead in bodily form, we actually, our, our bodies will rise from the dead one day too, we're promised that. When Jesus rises from the dead, what's different about his body? People go and see him outside the tomb, they see him and they, they can mistake him for a gardener. So clearly our bodies don't look exactly the same as they do now, and thank God for that. I want to look like Thor from the Marvels. Like, that's what I want to look like. God, you hear that? I want to have long, flowing hair. I'll be six foot and a half tall. And... So Jesus looks different, right? Because they think he's a gardener. They don't know who he is. So our bodies will not look exactly the same. So clearly our soul, therefore, has a, a pride of place because our souls will never change. Um, if I lose a finger, am I still Father Tyler Tenbarge from Hopstead, Indiana, son of Mark and Susan? If I lose a whole arm, am I still me? If I lose both legs and both arms and all the rest of my hair, am I still me? We are. So clearly it's not our bodies that make us us. It's our souls that do. They are the form that holds together the matter that is our being. And so why is it wrong to have sex before you're married? Because the soul matters more than the body does. I tell this to couples on their wedding day. I say, if you're currently sexually active, Try as best as you can to avoid those actions until your wedding day. Even if you've already been active, avoid those actions because on your wedding day, when you walk down the aisle together, you stand right here, what you're promising is your soul. I give myself to you. Good, bad, rich, poor, sickness, health, all of it. You get me. And your beautiful bride, guys, or beautiful, or handsome, handsome husband, He's going to look back at you on that day in front of this altar, in front of the church and God and everybody, and watch as someone else says, I give my most important piece of me to you. My soul, like, I give myself to you. And actually, we even go so far as to say as Catholics that your route to heaven, married people, is through your spouse. If a homeless person comes to your door and your spouse is also having a bad day, who do you help? Your spouse. Like, that's your vocation. That's your call to reach eternal life is them. And everybody else is secondary. Even your children are secondary because you gave yourself to them. And so then after your wedding day, after, your, after the wedding moment, the matrimony, the sacrament, you walk out of the church 
and you say, because we are now bound spiritually, let's concretize our bond physically by giving our bodies to each other. The second most important part. So that's why on your wedding night, it should be, should be ideally your first time. Because if you do it before you're married, it's a lie. Some, let's say you, we played a baseball game and you lost. And it was a real tough game. You feel real bad about it. And somebody walks up to you after the game and hits you on the back really hard and keeps walking away. How do you feel about that? Was that, was that like a well done? Or was that like a dang, you messed it up? You don't know, right? I mean, like, you might take it as like an attaboy, or you might take it as like a, you know, get the heck out of off our baseball diamond, you know? Was it your coach or your dad? Was it your buddy on your team? Was it the other team, right? You don't know. You don't know what they meant. Because the bodily action doesn't tell the whole story. The spiritual part matters, and it matters more. If they walk up to you and say, I'm really proud of you, you put everything in there, and then pat you on the back. You know what it's for. The spiritual matters. We've got, we've got to pay attention to that. That said now, the body matters too. At a funeral, we'll have somebody's casket up here and their body is laying here. Their soul is gone, right? It's left the body. Otherwise, that's, I mean, otherwise the body would still be here. The soul has left the body and the body lays here. And at the end of that funeral mass, we walk around with incense as the choir or cantor sings this beautiful song. And we incense the body. We incense the person's dead body. There's no soul there, and we incense it anyway. And as that incense rises up, that fragrant offering, both sight and smell, as we see that go up to heaven, we say, God, take this person's body, which carried their soul around the earth, which spoke to their and informed their soul. Like when someone gives you a hug, you feel that with your body, but it warms your spirit. Unless you don't like the person, then you're like cringing on the inside, right? Your body informs your soul. We want to take that body back up to you because it mattered too. The body matters, but the soul matters more. And so a sin against the vow of marriage, adultery, sexual activity before marriage itself, those kinds of things, those things are crimes or sins or deviations because they don't have the fullness of what it's supposed to be for. All that makes sense? Okay, one more thing about that. This is a beautiful paragraph from the Catechism 2360. Marital intercourse becomes the sign and the pledge of spiritual communion. Becomes the sign of communion, like it's how we see it, and the pledge, like, I'm going to stay with you. Why? Because we might have a kid together, and you're going to need help, right? Or I'm going to need help, <laughs> you know? And so we know it's the pledge of, of what's going to come. I tell, I tell this to people in marriage prep all the time, too. You can tell who couple, which couples are happily married by whether or not they're still having children. In part, if they're able to. In part, because couples that are mad at each other, they don't like each other, they don't sleep together. They don't even be in the same room, let alone the same bed, right? You can tell who, who loves one another because they're renewing their marriage vows on a regular basis by giving their bodies to each other because it, it's the vehicle of the soul. It's a beautiful thing. Finally, one more thing on this before, before I... Before, one more thing, one more thing. Did you know that if a guy in seminary, if he is incapable of a sexual act, like if he's not able to get married, like he can't complete, uh, he can't consummate a marriage, you know he's not allowed to be a priest? Did you know that? Now, we don't like test that, right? But if it's known that the man can medically not complete sexual intercourse, that he cannot be a priest, why would that be? 
Because sex is a gift, and it's part of the purpose of the human body. And priesthood, religious life, being a nun, monk, sister, brother, that's a sacrifice. And if you can't say no to that good thing, sexual intercourse, you can't say yes to this other thing. We don't want anyone forced into priesthood or religious life because they can't do something else. We want them to willingly say, I'm going to keep my body away from, any, from one other person so I can make it available to all. That's awesome. It's awesome. All right. Purpose, deviations, and finally, the remedy. When I talk about this stuff, I think some people can get kind of like, oh, shoot, I didn't realize that was a sin. Or maybe you did, and you're just like, I didn't want to face that in the mirror, and now I brought it up. Well, if that happened, take that as the Holy Spirit telling you that it's time to clean the slate. Um, that's part of what Lent is for. You're supposed to go to confession, actually. One time, the catechism says, one time a year, canon law says, actually. One time a year, and it's supposed to be in the season of Lent, if you can, because you're supposed to receive communion at least one time a year at Easter. And so you got to get your soul ready for Easter, for your Easter precept or your Easter communion that you're supposed to make. And you do that by cleaning the soul off. So come to confession. If somebody something was kind of stirred up in you about a sexual sin or any other sin, come to confession. A few things about that. Never one time in confession has someone told me something that I was embarrassed to hear. Not once. I only, I've, I've been a priest five and a half years now. And never once. And never once have I said, you dirty scoundrel, out of my office, right? Not one time. Actually, the only times I've ever felt bad for somebody after a confession is if I could tell they brought a bunch of bags in and they walked out with one or two. Or they came in pretty dirty and they decided not to clean every spot. I'm like, dang. They, they were so close, you know? So come in and just say it. And if you don't want to say it, just say, Father, I'm too embarrassed to say it. And I'll say, is it Sixth Commandment? You'll probably say, yep. And I'll say, how about I just guess? And you say yes or no. That's happened several times, actually. And I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to do that. Because sometimes I get it. These things are very close to us. They're very, we feel a lot of shame because we realize they are powers and we misuse them. But, but come anyway and say, I got to clean the slate and I'll help you out if you have to. Or go to any other priest. If you don't go to me because I know who you are, fine. Or I go to somebody else. I forget every confession, so, or almost every confession. Um, and, and you're not going to be original. No offense, but you're not. Um, so if you need to go, go. Um, and trust me, when you walk out of there, you're going to feel like a million bucks. And not only will you feel like a million bucks, but your marriage or your dating life or your future self as a married or ordained or consecrated person, they'll thank you. Your future self will thank you for that because you'll be able to fully realize who you're supposed to be, who God made you to be. Sixth commandment, do not commit adultery. Not because it's the worst thing on earth, although that's really bad, and some, some of it's worse than others, but because human sexuality is actually really good. We should use it for the gift that God made it to be.